the early 6th century B.C. was not a good time for God's chosen people. Last week, if you were here, and many of you were, Mike talked about King Solomon and about his plea for wisdom and about his desire to be a good ruler, about how he transitioned after his father David. And those were some great years. They were well known throughout the region and throughout the world. He mentioned that they were written even in the words of the Egyptians in those days. But it had been a long time since David and Solomon. It had been over 400 years. And after Solomon's death, his kingdom broke in two over a conflict among his heirs. And of the 12 tribes, 10 went north and two stayed south. And over the years, through troubled kings, uh, the situation kept getting worse and worse. Until finally in 722 B.C., in the 8th century, uh, the northern kingdom was captured by Assyria. And their leaders were taken off. And those ten tribes, they kind of vanished. And the people in five, and now we're here in 587... And in 587, they have spent 20 years in Jerusalem watching attacks, watching people being taken and marched across the desert into exile. Now the Babylonians are there. They are about to destroy the city, about to burn the great temple to the ground, to make the king of Judah watch as his sons are executed before him only to then have his eyes gouged out and he then be taken into exile. It was not pleasant times for the people in Jerusalem. And the worst thing of it was that in the midst of this, the prophets reminded them, this is happening because of your disobedience and your own fault. Can you believe what they must have felt that day? To know that because of their disobedience and because of their fathers and grandfathers before, that finally judgment had come. I wonder if they wished, if only we could have another chance. If only, God, you could once more deliver us from our adversaries. And here in the book of Jeremiah we see judgment comes rapidly apace. In fact, read the book of Jeremiah today. It is the second longest book of the Bible in terms of words other than the Psalms. And you will find, as someone reminded me this week, that it is a very sad book. There is lots of weeping and lots of judgment and lots of bad things will happen to you because of what you've done. But here in the midst of it, right in the center almost, is these two chapters of 30 and 31, what scholars call the book of consolation or the book of comfort. And here, in the midst of their struggles, God reminds them there is still hope. And I wonder if that's a word we need today. Maybe I've been thinking of it because since I've moved here, these have been great four months that I have gotten to be with you and in Danville. But for some reason, these four months have been punctuated by these little silly things that have been the result of a split-second moment's inattention. 
here's what I mean. Some of you might know that in July, my car was hit out in the parking lot by another woman who is not a member of this church, but is a lovely woman who, thank goodness, has insurance, and hit my car. Now, don't worry, no one was in the car, and it was nothing that three weeks and $4,900 worth of body work can't, couldn't fix. But I have to confess, I wish I had parked in a different parking space that day. And I bet she wishes she had paid more attention when she was backing up her vehicle. Have you ever done that? Don't have to raise your hand. Then a couple weeks later, I was driving, and I, some of you were in here were, were there when this happened. I uh, knocked out the taillight. <laughs> George Cunningham's laughing because he was there. <laughs> uh, because uh, trying to maneuver around a delivery truck. I really wish I had just waited for it to move. And then a couple weeks ago, I made a mistake some of you may have made. I left a pen in my pocket in the dryer. I'm still cleaning my dryer from that. And I always, in the time, I was like, if only I could go back and do it again. If only I could have waited. If only, I, I usually check my pockets, I promise. You've, you've had this, some of you have had this happen. And you say, if only I could do it over again, I'd do it differently. And you know, those are small things. In a few cases, those just cost me a couple hundred dollars. But you know, many of us, we live under the burdens of things we wish we could have done differently that have been much bigger than that. That we have lived with maybe for a year or 10 years or 50 years. And, And they weigh on us. And we wish we could go back and do things differently. We wish if only we could turn back time. If only the clocks went both directions instead of always forward. We'd go back and do things differently. And maybe we still live with those consequences. Broken relationships. Maybe broken items. Or maybe deep down it's just that sense of guilt and shame in our heart that won't go away. That sense that the pain that we suffered, we deserved it. And the people of Israel, God could have left them there and said, well, this is what you get. Exile, separation, the destruction of your homeland. This is what you deserve. But God said that will not last forever. The guilt and the shame doesn't have to be for always. The good news is there can still, in the midst of this struggle, be hope and a future. Here in the midst of their struggle, here in the midst of judgment being poured out, we see these words, there are coming, the days are surely coming, says the Lord. Just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil so I will watch over them to build and to plant. God says the days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. There will be a new opportunity. The troubles and the guilt and the shame do not have to last forever. God Himself will make things right. A new covenant. 
you know, the covenant they had. Covenants were common in the ancient world, and, and if you read the Old Testament, you can't go very far before you find the word covenant in the Old Testament. It's one of, some suggest it is the key word of the whole Bible. I don't know if I agree with them, but it's certainly a key word. And there what we see is covenants are where people come to God and, and they make an agreement with God. There are many kinds of covenants, but the kind of covenant we find with God in the Bible is one where people come and they say, we will follow and obey you in, and you will bless us. And if we do not follow and obey you, you can curse us and destroy us. And so that's the covenant that was made, that, in the, that there God chose of all the peoples of the world, He chose Israel to be His people. Israel, the people suffering in domination and slavery in Egypt, He called them and chose them and delivered them and brought them and said, to you and to you alone will I share my heart, my law. Now, we think of law as a bunch of words and a bunch of rules and a bunch of things we've got to follow. But for God, the, the content of the law is the content of God's heart, is the content of God's desire for you and for me and for human flourishing. The law is not just rules, but it is God's will. And he says, I will give you my law. I will give you my will. I will show you how I want you to live. And the people said, we will live as you want us to live. And he says, I will be your God. I will bless you. And if you do not follow, I will curse you. And, and what we find is that over time, the people, I mean, for heaven's sakes, they're up on the mountain. Moses is on Sinai receiving the covenant. Do you know what the people are doing down at the bottom of the mountain? And if you remember the Ten Commandments, they were building the golden calf. It wasn't going well from the beginning. And so they come down and there's this story, this cycle over and over and over in the Bible. And they come down and, and, and the prophet, who, who's not so much someone who tells the future, so much as just someone who speaks for God. The prophet comes and says, you are, disobeying. you are disobeying. You will be punished if you do not change. And the people say, we will change. We will change. We promise we'll do better. Give us a second chance. And God says, I will give you a second chance. And they get a second chance, but no sooner do they do that than they're disobeying. And they say, please give us a third chance. A third chance. And the story of the Bible is this story of living between chances and forgiveness and failure and over and over again, never able to break the cycle. And even today, people live in that cycle. That cycle of, I've got to do better. I will do better. I will work harder. I will try harder. I will do more. And it works until they fail again. And they say, Lord, I, I will do better. I will do more. And they do it over and over and over again. And we ask for second and third chances. And God is faithful. But friends, can I tell you something it is not God's desire for us to live in a world of attempts and failures. Did you hear me? It is not God's desire for you and for me to live in the ups and downs and pain and struggle of trying to get better on our own. Instead, what God says is there is coming a new covenant. 
You know, most covenants are initiated by the weaker party saying, if you will help us, we will serve you. But here, it is nowhere does it say that the, the people of Israel said, we need another chance. If it doesn't say that, that the, their chances had run out, they were so depressed and maybe they had even thought there was no more hope with God. And how many of us know people at that point? How many of us have been at that point where we said, we've had too many chances, there's no hope? Maybe you're at that point right now and you wonder why you're even here today. And you say, God can't hear me. God can't. I've got too much stuff. I've got too many failures and too much baggage. I know I look good on the outside and I'm a respected member of this community. But man, on the inside, I just feel like I can't keep it together. There's no hope. But to those people, what happens is God comes before us, hears the size of our hearts, and God comes and says, I will make the covenant. And we will break the chain of trying harder, failing, and trying again, and failing. Because what will happen is now the law will not be on tablets to read and obey, but it will be on the heart. The promise here is not more rules to follow, but a new heart that knows God. A new heart ruled by God because this heart is in tune with God's will for us. It is not the heart we are born with, but it is the heart that God wants to give us. There are coming a day. And you know what happens? That day comes in the person of Jesus. I was talking to the folks on the Wednesday night service. I said, you know, the thing about Jesus is there's no evidence in the Bible that people say, you know, God, what we could really use right now with our troubles is uh, your son to come to earth for us. That would be really great. Could you do that for us? There's no evidence for that. Instead, what we find that it is fully God's idea. God knows our needs better than we do. And so what we find is God sends God's Son in Jesus. And there with Jesus we see as He sits at the table, or reclines at the table with His friends in that meal we call today the Last Supper or Holy Communion. He lifts up the cup of wine. And do you remember what He says? He says, this is the new, what is it? Covenant. What was the rest of it? In my blood. There's the promises for us today. The promise is that God sends His Son and that all the darkness and heaviness and guilt and shame and failures on us, what happened was that God gave of His only Son a sacrifice one time for all. And there on the cross that sits in the center of our church and the cross represented above the organ, we see those at the center because there at the cross where Jesus' blood was shed, the power that kept us in bondage and in failure was broken forever. Because of the love shown and the blood poured out, a sacrifice and atonement.
And so what that means, friends, is for you and me that no matter where we are, the blood of Christ has covered all of our failures. No matter where you are in the journey of faith, all the sins of the world have been paid for already. You do not have to live in bondage anymore. And all God asks us to do is say yes. To accept that promise is our promise. That we too can have a new heart, a new life, a new peace. It is, as I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, referred to as the second half of the gospel. That you and I can be made new. You and I can receive a new spirit in us. And so I have to confess, I'm a little skeptical. I don't know about you, maybe you're there and you're like, well, okay, that works for people whose biggest problems are exploding pens and broken taillights and even $4,900 worth of body damage to your car. But you're like, Sean, I've got real problems here, so bear with me for a moment. And I could tell you there are many other things I could say that I've regretted in my life that I don't want to share with you this morning, and I suspect neither do you want to share them, and you probably don't even want to hear them. But you don't want to share with anyone. That's why they're kept secret. And you say, those things, I don't know if God can change that. I don't know if God can give me a new heart. You know, I was dealing with that all week, and last night I was reading Luke 8. I don't know if you've got your Bibles with, you want to turn to Luke 8. It's really exciting. If, you, if, if this is the sort of thing that you're wondering, you're wondering, can God actually do things like this? Luke 8, 22. Luke 8, 22. Begin there. What we find is Jesus and his disciples are out in the boat. And a storm comes up. They're even on a small lake, but a storm comes up and water is pouring over the side of the boat. And they, and they wake Jesus up. I don't know why they woke him up, but they, they must have thought it was a good idea at the time. And they said, we are going to die. And it says what? With A word, he rebuked the winds and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Then later, they get where they're going, and Jesus comes to a place, the country of the Gerasenes, and there he steps out. There's a man who is filled with so many demons. He lives, he doesn't wear clothes anymore, and he doesn't live in a house but in the tombs. And he shrieks and he shouts. You can imagine his reputation in the community. And Jesus, again with a word, he takes that man possessed for years by demons and drives the demons into some pigs feeding on the hill and they run and they drown in the sea. Leaving one man freed and a bunch of angry hog farmers. And what does it say there? It says the people were seized with great fear. How could this be? Let's keep going. Verse 40, it says, Now they are on their way, and as they do this, it says a woman comes and just touches his garment. And this is a woman who for 12 years has suffered hemorrhages and has been to every doctor and specialist she knows. She's been to every medical center she can think of, and still no cure. She spent all her money. And with one touch of Jesus, she is healed. Oh yes, let's get on to Jairus' daughter in verse 49. She only had one tiny problem. She was dead. And Jesus, it says, 
takes her by the hand, and the child comes back from the dead. Friends, I want to tell you the same Jesus that's here is alive today. And friends, I want to tell you if the same Jesus who did this, what do you think that Jesus, what do you think your problems are a match for this Jesus? God really can. It's all true. That's the most exciting thing about getting to preach is I get to talk about things that are unbelievable but are totally true. God can make a difference in your life. God can heal those guilt and shame even if it's been 50 years. God does not have an expiration date. You and I, this word, these curses that... That, that should come, those curses went, that Paul tells us in Galatians 3, went to Jesus, and we can be set free. Friends, I've heard it in the Bible, and I've seen it in real life. I have seen it in churches of 20 people that I've used to serve. I've seen it among people, a woman I can think of, who uh, about five years ago, she retired, but she had been hurt by the church when she was in her early young adulthood. She had felt judged and separated, and she wanted to not have anything to do with church or even with other people. She wanted to just live in the country and to be on her own. But somehow God got to her. God got to her and, and, and worked in her heart and changed her heart in ways that her family, her friends did not believe. They didn't even know it was the same person. Because this person who wanted to be left alone became a person who was as outgoing as someone who cared about others. Someone who in retirement worked for no pay. Some of you are retired. That's just not part of your plans. It wasn't part of her plan either. But God got a hold of her heart. I think in the first service we sang Amazing Grace following the sermon and I think of John Newton, the writer of that great hymn that is a favorite to many. And do you all know what John Newton did before he wrote that hymn? He was the captain of a ship that sold slaves across the Atlantic. And some have suggested the melody he heard from the slaves singing below deck on their way to their slavery. And he wondered, how can someone who has been involved in so much pain and so much struggle, how can God ever do something with me? And think of those words and the comfort and hope they have brought to millions of people since then. God can make a difference in His life, in her life, in their life, and can make a difference in your life. And friends, if that's if we'll just simply let go. When we have the pains and the struggles of our heart, they become part of who we are. We can't imagine life without it, and so we can't imagine letting go. But this morning, God says, let it go. Let me give you a new heart. Let me give you a new spirit. Let me write me, myself, inside you. Let your heart and my, let your heart beat with love. Let it follow the way God has led you and desires for you. Not a second chance, but a new covenant, a new promise, and a new hope. The good news is, this is real. 
And this can be real for you. Let us pray.